Won't you look down upon me, Jesus? You gotta help me to make a stand. You just got to see me through another day. My body's aching. Welcome to the program. I'm Sally Coburn with you until midnight. We're going to be talking about supporting you through the bushfires. We are going around the state. We are not going nationally um, because it's too important to not uh, be talking to you and about supporting you. And as I say, um, what we're going to be doing is uh, really sculpting the show around personal support. On the line is a man who I've met before. He's a wonderful musician. He's uh, done a lot of, worked with a lot of famous people. His name is Justin Brady. He lives at Malakuta. He hasn't lived there for terribly long, but he recently lost his house. But the thing that's amazing and I think a bit of a, um, a, a lovely twist is that Justin managed to save his musical instruments. Now you're probably wondering uh, what am I talking about? Well that was from January and uh, at very short notice we were told uh, as part we were just trundling along doing a normal summer show and, and suddenly uh, 3OW obviously we kick into action when there's a disaster happening and we were told that the, the bushfires had hit Malakuta and uh, we therefore just dropped everything and changed our direction and we actually were on air for six hours and I have to say a great big thank you to, to Bronwyn Robinson who's on with us tonight. She's been there the whole time as our producer. We were able to, um, shift, as I say, shift our focus to supporting you and everybody else through the uh, the bushfires. And one of the people who was on that show is the wonderful Craig Lapsley. Now, Craig is an emergency response expert. He's a specialist in strategic leadership, in crisis and change management. He's in And he's also an innovative complex problem solver and he used to be in uh, 2014 Victoria's Emergency Management Commissioner. Craig, welcome. Good evening. I tell you what, we never thought we'd be here now. We went through that and then that just morphed into COVID and, and I don't know that we've really spent much time looking back to see how they're recovering. What have you noticed? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think it's so so obvious that everyone's moved into this uh into what is the pandemic and, you know, those that are in the fire recovery footprint are doing the best they can, but obviously there's a lot of support that they haven't been able to get because of the, the virus restrictions and I think everyone's well aware of that. Mm-hmm. And you'd only hope to think that uh, once, the, once the isolation rules are, are lifted that uh, these communities will get the support that they were getting that um, has obviously been restricted, Sally. So that's, that's interesting, but on the same token, um, although I haven't been as involved as I would have normally been, uh, my observation is that communities are, are really rallying together and doing um, very well, but that's not to say they don't need further support, more support and ongoing support. I'm just wondering if, uh, I know with some of the, uh, the restrictions lifted on where you can go, uh, I'm hoping that people are maybe going out to regional areas uh, this long weekend. And uh, um, uh, actually on that note, uh, 13, 13, 32, uh, if you're in a regional area or if you're um, going to a regional area tomorrow, I'd love to hear from you where you're intending to go. Um, and not only, uh, you know, we were all geared up ready to support them all and do the tourism thing and give them money, but the, the whole COVID thing has changed the landscape for many people on a financial sense that they've lost their jobs. Oh, certainly. Um, you know, it's slowed up everything in the sense that, you, you know, you think about um, um, there's an organisation that does a lot of work to support farmers putting fences up and all of a sudden, you know, they were bringing people in from all over Victoria, all over Australia and that's Blaze Aid and uh, all of a sudden they had restrictions that the people that were there had to leave because they couldn't operate, therefore 
those farmers that have lost all of their, you know, their fencing, and that's just one issue of multiple issues, um, didn't have the support. It was all volunteer support, and uh, you know the Blaze Aid volunteers um, left the districts, and you know everyone accepted it, but it was hugely disappointing. And if you think about Blaze Aid, the amount of effort they put in to organise volunteers to give their time to travel, to bring their caravans, to camp there and get out and do the work, all of a sudden, you know, the virus comes along. And that, that program was one of just many programs that had to be slowed up um, or actually stopped. And then they've got to restart it again in the middle of winter um, if that's when the, the restrictions are going to be lifted. And I suppose the frustrating part about it, this is this is not some bad government decision or some business pulling out or whatever. This is the, the COVID thing affects every single one of us. And no one wanted it to happen, but... We can't. It's not as if someone can say, "Oh, look, you know, I'll just do that anyway." We can't, and yeah, uh, exactly. so these people must feel abandoned. And the frustration of the abandonment is that it's totally out of their control. Oh yeah, and not that. I mean, you think of some of the yeah, and they're really simple things that are being taken away. So the fact that um, the people in the fire affected areas and other areas can't actually play football or netball or have that social oh, outlet to get to to see people. You know, football's not happening. Netball's not happening. Um, therefore, that social Saturday um, inter- interaction is not there. And, and also think, we heard oh, earlier on, Craig, that neither yeah. are musical events that often come out into the regions. Exactly, and that's not yeah. happening either. And the arts events. So all of that cultural stuff through music and arts, which is really important. And not only that, um, you can get, you can go back in history and look at what happened in Marysville. You know, the arts and the music was so important in the recovery aspects of, of the community. And here you are, exactly what you're saying, Sally, that's being restricted for no other reason than a virus. It's no, it's no one not wanting it to happen. It's just simply the rules around the virus can't allow it to happen. So, so yeah, there's all those opportunities that are being missed, um, and that means the recovery is being delayed or communities are being left more to their own devices um, more often. I'm hoping that, uh, especially if you're in a, in a you know quite remote area, I don't know whether you'd have good internet coverage. And, and we really need to work on connecting our communities through these digital things. We've been hearing about the digital concerts that can happen. Um, it's about human interaction. And if we can't have it in person, we need to have it online. And if they can't get it online, that should be a priority. Yeah, that's right. So connecting communities, and you're onto the right thing, connecting um, communities is one of the most important things in the recovery of any event, whether it be a flood or a bushfire. But even you think about um, the virus where we've been isolated, how we now connect every day and, you know, to run our businesses, um, what are we doing? We're on Zoom meetings all the time. We're in front of a screen. We're still interacting, but it's different. Mm. It, it is so much different not to have that person-to-person contact, mm. that network arrangement. It's different for all of us. Whether we'll all go back to be the same as we've been before, Sally, is an interesting question. But there's no doubt that people need to meet people. And, and you even think about the schools where... You know, the schools are closed and a lot of those little kids just wanted to get back to school after a few weeks of being home. Mm-hmm. And it was about that social aspect of life. And the social aspect of life is really important about how people interact with each other, support each other. And there's nothing nothing more important than in the, in the post-emergency um, that the people interaction, the community comes together and really does help a broader bit, which is really important. I'll put my Dr Feelgood hat on now and, and really comment on the fact that We've got to remember that these times must be incredibly difficult for people who live on their own, can't get out to meet people. And I notice some of the dating agencies are, are saying, well, you can have virtual dates. Um, but I'm also worried about people spending 24-7 with their partner, getting frustrated and the rise in family violence. And we need to make sure we're reaching out to them to help them with that too. Yeah, and this is some of the things we don't talk about, isn't it? Um, 
talk about domestic violence and family violence, and I often often introduce it as, you know, it's frustration of families. It's the frustration mm-hmm. of not being able to communicate or being together um, too much and not having other outlets to, to allow yourself to operate successfully as an individual or alone a family unit. And you're right, there's points where they bubble over, and some of these... Um, may have already been existing, the pressure points were there, but I think a lot of them will start to really um, come out now that we've got, you know, the frustration of a bushfire in a community, then we've got the, oh, yeah. the, the virus on top, or we've got the ability in the broader sense to go and just do the things we want to do or, or normally would do um, to keep ourselves active and fit and sane, all those things are being challenged. So I think, Sally, you're spot on. It's a really difficult time. Uh, for everyone, and we're all in it. And then you add to those that have been affected by the bushfires in, you know, in the eastern part of Victoria, but also up the, the eastern seaboard of Australia. It's massive. Like it's seriously massive. Mm. Um, the impacts of what's happened in in the end of 2019, but certainly 2020. One of the things that is almost like a silver lining, if you will, is that um, I know, and excuse my dog snoring in the background, by the way, um, is uh, the fact that. The bushfires only happened to some people, and that was shocking, but they often felt, you know, why me? But coronavirus is happening to everybody in the sense that we're all in the same boat, that we don't want to get it, and da-da-da-da-da. In a way, it's unifying because it's something that you know that the person next door or the person down the street or the person you see at the supermarket, we're all in the same boat. And I've noticed in the supermarket, people smile more. They walk around you, but they smile more. And... um, I've got more welfare calls from my friends than I've ever had. <laughs> I think it's a time when we are actually reaching out. I think you're right, um, and that tells that tells you the you know, the, the positives of what people are about because people do care. Um, probably when you're so busy that you get in this busy loop, you don't get time to do the things you'd like to do, and maybe we've slowed the viruses allowed to slow ourselves up, slow the world up, sl- slow our our work or our interface with our our, our family and, and uh, recreation life to, to be able to be a little bit more reflective and also a little bit more engaged. But mm. you go back, Sally, one of the things that's interesting this um, this summer, and I think it's a, a reality for the next um, decades ahead of us, is yeah, bushfires are there and you, know, you can have the argument about climate change and the bush management and all that, and the Royal Commission's doing that now about you know what's climate mean to us and what's land management mean and what's forest management mean and they'll work all that through and come out with uh, hopefully a, a way to manage the next you know the next decade forward but mm. it's really interesting that the bushfires impacted directly on a group of people and and very very devastating but one of the consequences of the bushfire was smoke and the Royal Commission had um, a presentation I think it was the week before last where they mm. presented that 445 people died from directly from um, smoke problems from the bushfires and there was another um, numbers up around 4,000 that were hospitalised because of smoke. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, if I live in downtown Melbourne or, or the inner city of Bendigo um, or the inner city of Geelong, fire's not my immediate thing because the, fire, the bushfire's not going to come and get me in suburbia. The outer suburbans it will, but in, the, in you know, downtown CBD of Melbourne, bushfire's not going to directly get me. But think about the smoke. And I think this is the next one of the next challenges we've got is about air quality. Um, the censoring of it, the advice of it, the understanding of it, early warning of it, um, and and then it's you know where to go. Is it to the GP? Is it to the to the Better Health Channel? Is it the nurse on call? Who do I ring um, to get this? And those that are asthmatics have got plans in place, but those that haven't that aren't necessarily asthmatics and are suffered by smoke. 
smoke becomes one of those um, new patients almost. What do I do? So I think it was really interesting when they put those those um, figures on the table to say 445 deaths above the normal or um, as a direct result of smoke. Really interesting figures. Craig, I, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I was trying to get the um, the person who, who gave that information to the Royal Commission on tonight, but I, I was unable to uh, to track them down. Um, and I believe it came out of Tasmanian Univers- Tasmania University. Um, the thing that's really interesting about that is, again, it was similar. I remember some years ago you were on my program when, I think it was during Black Saturday, actually, and um, I remember that Paul Holman, then from, from Amulets Victoria, say, made a statement that more people died of dehydration in the hot weather than died of directly of the uh, the fires and I think that this flow on effect we have to understand um, is a real problem and those deaths from from respiratory complications from the that's more is that more people that's more people than have died from COVID isn't it it, it, is, it, it is it is in, in our in, in especially in Victoria yeah, yeah it is and yeah. it's really interesting Sally I mean exactly what you, you refer back to Paul in Black Saturday the worst fire that Victoria's had as far as death goes 173 deaths extremely um, devastating and even today mm. I still and you would be the same and a lot of Victorians would still have a direct connection to mm. someone that was involved in those fires and, and a family or a direct connection to someone that died at the same time, though, 374 people died from the heat wave that was the two weeks prior to um, the 7th of February. And it was interesting at the time, in both papers, the Herald Sun and the Age, they got really small, and I mean very small articles, a couple of weeks later about the 374 deaths from heat. And it's interesting, and you know this, Sally, we've, you've discussed it before, but 373 of the 374 were over the age of 65 and only one was a young child. And I told you, I think it was a turning point in understanding heat fatigue in our age communities. And, you know, the, I know the Department of Health changed things dramatically about their messaging and their approach to it. And, you know, even in the in the 2014 um, summer, we had significant heat, heat days and there were still um, 117, I think, um, I wouldn't quote those. I think it's 117 that were directly related to the death from from heat. But that was a dramatic change from 373, and the messaging was different, and we're even better at now. The one I was, the one I was interested here, Sally, was we've heard the 33 deaths from bushfires this year. We've heard the 445 deaths that they've directly related to smoke-related um, illnesses. We haven't yet heard the heat-impacted deaths, no. if there were any. And, and I'd be interested at some point for the, the stats to come out around that. And then it starts to tell you the full picture of heat, fire and smoke of the challenges we face. And then we move into the pandemic. And again, you know, good messaging, good controls have minimised in Australia the, the potential death it could have been. And I think that's, you know, you spoke to Brett Sutton before, it's a credit to the, to the chief medical officers and the chief health officers that have really put their... Um, got their messaging right, and I think they have got the messaging right. And you know the thing that annoys me a little bit, and I'm sure it would annoy you too, that um, right at the very beginning of the pandemic there were some messaging, and I think it was coming out of the federal um, government, and it was really reasonable. They were doing some modelling and saying this could be, let's face it, as bad as Italy, as bad as, um, as, bad as America. But in fact, we're not there. That's only because we listened and we followed their advice. See, people are saying, oh, you see, they said there was going to be hundreds of thousands of deaths and there's only been whatever. Yeah, it's only because we did the right thing. Yeah, that's dead right. That, Absolutely. Is, and, is, 
and, and the other thing, the other thing, Sally, Australia is a is an island, a big island. So once you do control the borders um, from bringing it in by either ships or planes or however it might come, you've then got to you've then got to isolate what we've got. And I tell you, the one I give them credit for is the isolation of the indigenous communities and how they locked the Northern Territory border down really quick, which has got a high population of indigenous. And you know, um, it's a fact. It's a it's a it's not it's it's one of those things we should all be a little bit shameful of, but we should all work hard to improve. Is you know the the, the health of our indigenous community is such a a, a vulnerable and viability bi- bi- of how you see those communities um, being impacted. And, and I give them credit, particularly the Northern Territory, to lock it down and say no. We're, we're going to focus on uh, you know our First Nation people, um, so critical. And I think that's something across Australia we should be should be um, proud of, but also acknowledge that that was really important. Absolutely. Um, just going back to the uh, the smoke issue, and, and I've been banging on, on for this for years because my father banged on about it for 50 years. But um, I wonder what this um, those stats tell us about these little, and they're lovely little um, parks and their little na- native plants and their indigenous plants. I don't mean indigenous, meaning Aboriginal. I mean these were the original plants that lived in the, that you know, were always there for hundreds of thousands of years probably. But the, a lot of the people who manage these parks think that the way to manage them is do periodic burn-offs so that we can regenerate those Indigenous seedlings because that's how things worked. But in fact, you can do that other ways because I worry, and I know of a particular park that they periodically burn off that is right next to an aged care facility. And, and I tried to tell them, and my father tried to tell them, it's not so much about the burning, it's about the particulate matter in the, in the smoke that can really harm people's health. Even those small burn-offs for the people directly around them. So we've got a lot of work to do in that area. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's not one silver bullet. It's actually complex, um, mm. and it is complex to get the right, um, the right hazard reduction program, the right burning program, the right safety program, because everything has got a consequence of some kind to someone. And, um, you know, if you think you can just go out and burn the bush because that's the, the way we've done it in the past, well, there's a whole lot of other issues now that we've got to deal with and help Health and, and public safety is certainly one of those, and that's a yeah. You know, I I, I, um, I watch with interest and also probably part of the debate sometimes about what is the right way to do it. And uh, it, it, you've got to be able to have the discussion with the community. You've got to actually care for the community, and you've got to actually come up with solutions that that the community actually understand and have the logic to. So, so yeah, it's a it's a complex um, little piece, but it's one of those that I think in Australia will continue to debate in some way, shape, or form, and rightly so um, should debate it. Craig, I um, I, I think, was it on your watch that the um, Vic Emergency Service uh, app was evolved? Was that when yeah, you? Yeah. yeah, it came out of '09, and we took it from the fire app to be the emergency app. And yeah, and I mean, again, um, I, I think critical. And I, I also chuckle sometimes, Sally, that people talk about oh, what's changed since 2009, you know, because of the, the fires of 2009 to now. And I say lots change, but there's also a lot of things change outside the fire services as far as, you know, we've all got smartphones now that are not just telephones. Um, whereas back in 2009, we had little flip phones that you're, you're lucky to get a screen bigger than your, you know, your thumb to look at and peer at. So not only have we got apps, we've got a lot of access to information now that we never had before. And I think that mm-hmm. goes back to the air quality thing that, you know, that's going to be the next thing about having access to understand air quality, having access to understand, you know, we've discussed thunderstorm asthma only happens at a certain time of the year. Uh, 
only happens probably in, in Victoria is one of the most prominent um, parts of the world about how that phenomena occurs. But those are the sort of things that should be on apps. And, uh, you know, early warning is absolutely critical. Craig, we're, we're entering a new normal. And one of the things that I'm just absolutely loving is the fact that the silos seem to be breaking down between certain emergency services, certain health groups, certain government departments and I actually think the new normal is going to be collaboration. It is. It is. We, we, um, when I was Commissioner, we, we coined a, a term, we work as one, and we put hashtags around it and you, you're amazed, Sally, by a simple set of words, we work as one, how involved and collaborative that was and you're dead right. Um, I'm sure uh, people know that, that there's more collaboration now than ever, but we've got to keep working at it because as faces change and has, as um, you know, a new chief health officer comes in or a new commissioner of police or whatever it is, you've got to work hard to make sure that they are included and get it. Um, but I think there's a, there's a tone now that's changed over decades that that is the way to operate, a collaborative, um, more joined up, community focused it's not about the agencies it's about the community and if you can keep those things front and center you actually get really good outcomes absolutely good outcomes craig thanks for top and tailing our session uh, our season i should say in that um you know uh, we've now been on air for eight months straight <laughs> we never saw that coming and uh, and thank you for your participation and thank you for everything you do in this space uh, you're such a voice of reason and i really appreciate it and i know we'll be talking very very soon thank you no drama. Thanks, uh, Sally, and uh, to your listeners, I know there's a lot out there that enjoy what you do, um, but it still comes back that, uh, and I'll just finish off to say, that the thing that you've got to think about, think about someone who's lost their house in East Gippsland or some part of Australia, and, you know, it was hot then, they, they'll be living in a temporary accommodation, maybe in a caravan, maybe in, in a temporary house of some kind, uh, or living in another community, and it's winter. And you think about that, you know, all of a sudden you're in a caravan exactly. and it's fantastic when it's warm, but when it's as coldest um, night and, and a cold morning and a wet morning, think about all those people that haven't got a home. Um, okay. And I know that, you know, the agencies are working hard to look after them, but they're still out there and it's going to take a while before they'll rebuild. It will take a, yeah. a while. So, yeah, there's a, there's a long way to go for all of those people, Sally. And I just thought it was really important for us to acknowledge that tonight because um, uh, we just want them to know that we haven't forgotten. So, Absolutely. Craig, thanks very much. Uh, really appreciate your time. Craig Lapsley. Thanks, Sally. Thank you. Craig Lapsley, emergency response expert. After the break, we're going to be talking to the fantastic Kate Austin from Pinchapoo. What is it? You'll find out after this. <laughs> 